Hi, my name is Wizzy Brown. And I'm Molly Keck. And we are with the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service Department of Entomology. And this is Bugs by the Yard, where we hope to increase your enthusiasm about bugs in the urban landscape. Welcome back to Unwanted Guests. This week, we are continuing our series on and uh, almost finished with our series on different species of butterflies or different families of butterflies that are common throughout Texas. But before we get started on the butterflies, we do have a special guest that will turn into a permanent host of the podcast. We have been lucky enough to, to be able to hire another Program Specialist in Integrated Pest Management located in the Dallas-Fort Worth area at the Dallas Center, and that is Bryant McDowell. So thanks, Bryant, for being uh, our colleague. (laughs) Thank you for joining the craziness. (laughs) I'm excited to be here. Welcome to the wild family. So if you have you listened to our other podcast, Unwanted Guests, and if you don't go subscribe to that one too. Um, but if you do, we've already introduced Bryant on that one. Um, and if you don't, then Bryant is, um, a Texas native. He, I have a a personal, um, it sounds weird to say I have a personal relationship with him, but it's not intimate. (laughs) Yes. I guess I have a personal soft spot for Bryant because Bryant was my intern many, many years ago for two summers in a row. So I've worked with Bryant in the past, uh, in extension, but then also when he was a grad student doing 4-H and FFA trainings and other stuff. So I've I've known Bryant for a long time. I've been really jockeying for him for a position to open up and always telling him about him when they do open up. So I, I think that this one's probably the perfect one for him. And I'm really, really excited that you're here, Bryant. Thank you. Thank you. So let I guess some history about you. Um, before, before, well, you are a graduate of Texas A&M. You have your bachelor's and your master's in entomology, both in entomology? Both in entomology, yes. I did my undergrad. I graduated in 2014 and then with my master's graduated in 2019. 2019. You're making me feel really old. I know. <laughs> did, you, did you start out um, in entomology as an undergrad? I know that like you were really into 4-H entomology, right? Or was it FFA? It was, it was FFA. So I started that in, in high school and I stuck with it. Uh, so I, I had moved to Johnson city and uh, tiny town, not a lot to do, I guess, but I found an entomology club. I'm like, Hey, I've always liked insects. And so I, that's where I got to travel to A&M. Um, once I got in and started college, I actually went in as a zoology major, but then I think probably a year and a half into that, I like had that moment where I sat down, like, is this what I want to do with my life? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I also happened to take like genetics, physics, and OCHEM in the same. Oh, that's brutal. Yeah, it was terrible. Um, so I ended up <laughs> basically withdrawing and then somehow remembered Dr. Teal and that the entomology department existed. Um, and so I reapplied the next, I guess it was like my sophomore year, the, the next spring got into the entomology department and that was a total co- like college game changer for me. Mm-hmm. Um, completely changed my view of school where it was. It became fun, right? Fun, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't like, oh, I have to go to class. It was more like, 
not to be corny, but like, what are we going to learn today? (laughs) (laughs) What bugs do we get to play with? (laughs) That's, I think that's exactly kind of how I felt as well. Um, It just made sense. Finally, like science made sense in my brain. It was, you know, bugs made, it was the same stuff, right? But it just was in the story was it was happening with an insect. And then, then that was what my brain could comprehend better than just chemistry terms you know yeah, like a, a whole new world of, of opportunity that I didn't even know existed as well like yes yeah I, I always say that when when I do like a master naturalist course uh at, or do like a career day you can study entomology but there's all these subfields with it or there are things that you can do with that education that you got because it is a science education and then you kind of use that actually in your past in your most recent job which was teaching mm-hmm. um, high school science. Correct. Correct. Um, yeah. So that, that was fun. <laughs> um, Are you glad I, it's over or, or did you leave on a high? I definitely left on a high. Um, honestly, I went into it thinking I would be doing it for a lot longer than just the year that I, that I did. Um, so I, I did forensics and uh, anatomy physiology, which in the into world, we use insects as models and kind of apply it to, to humans. And so that was for me, a learning curve, all of like the human anatomy physiology side. Right. But then forensics, I kind of got to dive into, well, there's like one unit right on forensic entomology. And that was really fun for me to like get into it with my students. But um, I'm also kind of a crime junkie and I, and I love, I love listening to, podcasts on that and whatnot so did their grades go up when you got to the forensic entomology unit um their grades never really went went too too high oh (laughs) you were hard (laughs) we we live in a in a in an age where it's very difficult to get um students to participate in a timely manner yeah so um and, and you know there's there's different rules that different teachers have or whatever but the interest definitely went up in forensics once we got into like applying them to true crime yeah. and actual like, you know, stories of of people and, and victims. Um, most people hated forensic entomology just because they, they, they think maggots and they're just totally oh. disgusted by it. You like maybe maybe three students are morbid enough to to want to dive into it. <laughs> and were those the goth kids? surprisingly no yeah surprising I I had a cheerleader that was really into it I was gonna say were they cheerleaders and football players yeah yeah I had a a cheerleader and then um just two other students that I also had for um anatomy and and physiology so that was nice too is there was like a good overlap um yeah that's awesome we're glad you're out of the classroom but in the public classroom I guess yes I mean it's really not it's probably a well, I would hope it'd be a pretty smooth transition. You're just not taking grades and having to worry about that, but you're still educating people in, in extension. So I was having this conversation with someone. Yeah. No longer am I lesson planning, but now I get to track my time and <laughs> excited to do that. Count numbers of people. <laughs> All right. So moving on from Bryant to our butterflies. So we've covered the majority of the butterflies, Bryant, you're kind of coming in on the tail end of this uh, series that we've been doing. And we're going to cover the group purity. I pronounce it purity, but I've been learning that uh, everything I say is incorrect. So how do you guys pronounce that? I say purity. I, I too say purity. 
Okay, good. Well, then I got that one right. Oh, consensus. <laughs> lately, I've been like saying everything incorrectly, but I've said it for so long that there's no way I'm going to fix it probably. And I'm starting to be very self-conscious about the way I pronounce orders, hey, not orders, but say it with conviction families. and you're good. Fake it till you make it. Yep. Kind of a thing. So with, with the Pierides, these are all the sulfurs, um, whites, yellows, uh, a, a pretty decent number of species that are common throughout Texas. Um, but most people see them. You've probably seen them in a field. To me, this is a group of butterflies that will fly the longest going into winter. And then even if it's like a warm day in December or January, even they'll start, they'll come out. So I guess a lot of them probably might overwinter as adults. Uh, if not, they're probably overwintering as pupa and that warm day made them think it was spring and they, they started to move around. But to me, they're they're generally the last to fly. So if you have to do an insect collection in the early spring, you can get your sulfurs and your yellows. And I don't know if they're necessarily the first to come out, but you do you do kind of notice them, at least in my area, um, spring through winter time. And then if you live in the south part of the state, you you should be able to see them all throughout the year. They're pretty hardy little bugs. Two, they can be broken down into two subfamilies, Pierini. And which are the whites and orange tips, and then coleadini, which are sulfurs and yellows, and probably the ones that more people are familiar with. But the Pierini group, the whites and the and the and one single species of orange tips to me are kind of interesting because most people look at butterflies, and I've always told people if it's an butterflies, their caterpillar form is usually not harmful. Moths, the caterpillar form is usually harmful, economically significant, doing some damage that you don't want them to do that kind of thing. And with butterflies, you planted something they wanted to feed on. So you planted milkweed. And if you're planting milkweed, you better not be mad that monarchs are eating it or whatever the you know host plant might be. You kind of did it on purpose. But with this group of butterflies, there are some actual economic pests. They've got, um, there's one that's called a checkered white which is white with black checkers. So it's got a perfect name for what it does. And their, their larvae will feed on coal crops, which we're growing right now. You're putting them in the ground this time of year, or if you haven't yet, you will be soon. So cabbages, broccoli, cauliflowers, lettuces. I think there's even some species of spinach that are technically a coal crop. Yeah, spinach and mustards, I think. Yeah, mustards too. Um and they've they've earned the name the Southern Cabbage Worm, so they are considered an economically significant agricultural pest or even backyard veggie pest. And then same thing with the other couple species that are considered whites. There's a cabbage white and a great southern white, which is a pretty big white butterfly. But the cabbage white's uh, introduced; it's not native, and so it gets the name imported cabbage worm, feeding on cabbage, cauliflower, radishes, and turnips. There's a really good likelihood that they're going to feed on anything else within that family. One of the big strategies that we teach in IPM for backyard gardeners is crop rotation, move by family so that it's harder for those bugs to find their food. So um, they're not just going to be limited to cabbage and cauliflower. You might also see them on lettuces and broccoli and, and other items such as that. And then the great Southern whites, the last one, that's in that um, subfamily Pyrene. That's a white, and it um, can be a pest of cabbage, but it's of the three, it's the least 
likely to do it. And I think you wouldn't probably see them where you are in Dallas, Bryant, because they're more likely to be in central or South Texas. I had somebody recently, um, a media request ask how many, one of the questions they wanted to know the answer to is how many species of butterflies are there in Texas? And I'm like, or I guess they said specifically San Antonio. And I said, I have no idea. I don't know that anybody would figure that out because they fly and they can follow the wind. And so we could very, you know, we, we might say, oh yeah, there's a hundred species that are always can be found, but there's probably 20 plus more others that you see random stragglers come through. So Mm -hmm. that you could probably see the great Southern white up in Dallas, but it's not as common as down here. And I don't know why they eat like saltwort, peppergrass, nasturtium and cabbage. And maybe those things, those items are not really found up in the Northern part of the state. Oh, and in general, though, I, I did notice that those two subfamilies tend to be like neotropic. Um, oh, like yeah, and but yeah, some some are found like in the northern regions. And then the last species of the Pyrenee group is the orange tip. So Pyrenee are the whites, and then orange tips. And I think we only have one species of orange tip in Texas. They call it the falcate. At least that's how I pronounce it. <laughs> falcate orange tip, and it's. A small butterfly that's really not white. It's like kind of a dirty white color or off-white. And then it has really cool orange bright tips on it. Um, And I noticed them kind of in natural areas. They like wild mustards and um, things like that. So like fields and parks that are kind of left to go be more, be more natural. Um, and, And they are more common, I guess, in the spring months during that time of year. I think the larvae of that one's pretty. What does it look like? It is like a, I don't know, kind of like it's striped, like longitudinal stripes. It's got like white and black and like a blue green and an orange. And it's just really cool looking. Lots of color. The other ones are just kind of like a, all the other deals that we're talking about are just kind of green like nondescript little like yellowy one of them actually looks like the genista almost the caterpillar for the great southern white kind of looks like the genista caterpillar so yeah i I know them as being quite uh almost pale cloudy in 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 color um a fun fact so and, and i don't know how true it is but the term butterfly um apparently uh, came from British naturalists who termed like the the butter colored fly like flying thing. Um, oh, really? Yeah, there you go. Color. So uh, it came from this uh, family, the Pierini family, most likely. Yeah, yeah, a- apparently so. You know, I have never wondered to myself why they're called butterflies, and you would think that should be a question that. M- most people would, I guess, because you hear that you've heard that term your whole entire life. You've never stopped to wonder what does it mean? Or why did they say that? And I guess it's because the sulfurs tend to be butter colored. <laughs> yeah. And then another fun fact, uh, grammar entomology, butterfly is one word because they're not true flies, but like house fly is two separate words because they're true flies. So I fight all the time with media people that want to make honeybee one word. I'm like, but it's not. It should be two words because they're true bees. Yes. 
So the the other subfamily of the PRD is the coleadini, which are the sulfurs and yellows or their kind of overarching term that we call them. And those are the ones that I had in my notes that they can have two or more seasonal color forms. So I suppose spring versus fall, they may look a little different from one another. Um, and these, the sulfurs and the yellows are for sure the ones that I will see flying the longest. It, it, when everyone else has gone to bed, they're out there getting the last little bit of nectar that they can, they can get. These are the ones that I think it's like, if you see them flying around, they all look alike. It's like all of it's them. some yes. type of a sulfur. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> they are so hard to identify. I was like pulling my hair out, trying to um, go through my collection to put together that butterfly online course that I did. Cause they all just look so similar. And then even the black pattern that they have, if it wears off, it doesn't look the same. It's, it varies in, in its shape or its design a little bit. You know, there's just, it was. Yeah. All it takes is some of those scales to get knocked off and it's like, you're, you're done. <laughs> yes. Now it's not even yellow. Now it's just white. It's even, weird. yeah. Even in the same species too. So, um, According to my research, I'm not sure if you guys want the same thing, but this this is the subfamily too that's apparently mostly sexually dimorphic. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. With those black scales that we were talking about. But yeah, we know butterflies get <laughs> flicked once and all the scales just. Mm-hmm. It, but you're right, Wizzy. They all look so alike. Even in, if you have like a guidebook, you look at the pictures, you're like, how the heck do they know? <laughs> the difference between these two, cause they look identical to me. This is certainly a group where somebody who is like a, we shouldn't even call them amateur butterfly people or amateur like lepidopterist. A, a lepidopterist. Like this is what I do. <laughs> they do a much better job than us plain old entomologists that study <laughs> other stuff. Um, I also found, I was also finding that there was um, some differences in species. And I had to go to the Entomological Society of America and and look up what they were using for um, genus names for some of them, because um, I was seeing two totally different things in different guidebooks and online and everywhere else. So people that are really into it, if you run across it, we usually use Entomological Society of America and what's been published in their journals to um, say that's the right one. But taxonomists all like to disagree, I'm sure. Um, so in this group, I guess the first group in one of the genuses, which is controversial, I understand, is called Urema. And it, I, that one was like sleepy oranges, little yellows, Mexican yellows. And they're just all kind of yellowish. The sleepy orange, though, is more orange. And it's not like orange, orange. It's like yellow orange. So it's not really that noticeable, I guess. Kind of a, a tangerine. Yeah, there you go. There you go, for sure. Get out the Crayola box. Oh, that's what we should do. We should sign up for, you know how Crayola will do like a contest for different colors, new colors oh, that yeah. come out? We should make it a color of an insect. Like whatever their new color is, we should submit it as tiger beetle green or, you know, whatever <laughs> it is. That's a nice color. Sulfur yellow. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so... Coleanidinini, whatever they're called, that group. Um, some of them like sennas and partridge pea. They lay their eggs on that. There's another group that um, will feed on alfalfa. So that I guess that could be a, a, a significant, economically significant pest as well, especially if you are growing alfalfa. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like the 
the the coleus sulfurs from my research says they are the orange sulfur the southern dog face and the clouded sulfur the southern dog face i think is really kind of cute they say it has like a cartoony dog's face on the on the four wings the front side of the four wings it looks like a very poorly drawn snoopy it's it's a i don't get it i don't With see using your imagination yeah i definitely <laughs> don't see the dog it took me a while to notice it and then there's another one that, kind of like a duck almost i think it looks more like a duck i really do but the mexican yeah. yellow also has kind of a duck look on its wings duck face on the wings not as in the instagram duck face pout yeah (laughs) um and then i think they also will lay on legumes too which actually we're fine if i recall from the other things we were talking about there's a lot of butterflies that lay their eggs on legumes so it's probably a miracle that blue bonnets are as numerous as they are because you think they would get eaten up by these yeah i I guess there are other options for them though and then the only the last one or there's a few more, I guess. I have found there's a Phoebus genus, which its name is derived from the Greek god Phoebe, who was Apollo's sister. And that's all I found on that. I didn't find any explanation for maybe why. Like <laughs> if there was a reason or they just decided they like that Greek god's sister. I don't know. Um, but that's like the orange barred sulfur, the lor- the large orange sulfur. Now those are very pretty. And the cloud... There's a clouded and a cloudless. Yes. And I think the cloudless is is in that Phoebus group. And they like senna and partridge pea. So if you want to bring in sulfurs, I think sennas and partridge pea are probably a good host to start planting. I might have a senna in my yard. I'm going to have to go out and see what's on it. They're, the The larvae of all these guys look just... Green. green green and they kind of have like a, a long stripe down their body so they i i don't think you certainly could tell the, the difference of or i i don't think you could identify the species if you ever collected one of their caterpillars you'd for sure have to let it grow um and then the last ones i found were dainty sulfurs which are so cute they're they're just like they sound they're dainty and they're itty bitty and they're really common also going into the fall time i remember last fall specifically just seeing tons of them but they're so tiny and so adorable and really hard to pin if you want to put them in a collection (laughs) um there's like a tailed orange a lyside sulfur they all feed on uh legumes don't they i have marigold Really? Sneezeweeds? I don't know what a sneezeweed is. <laughs> uh, dogweeds and asteraceae. Marigold. That's interesting because I would have thought marigolds would be kind of slightly toxic. Well, I guess they're not because um, spider mites love them. So they can't be that toxic. Well, I think it's cool on a lot of these. They have uh, UV <laughs> stuff on their wings that we might not be able to see. But they actually will use them in courtship. So if you do like a UV light over them, then you'll see other stuff. So we just really? see them as yellow. <laughs> but but they're seeing each other much differently from that. So they'll have different patterns and stuff and different colors that will reflect on that UV lighting. So it's kind of like, you know, flowers with the nectar yeah. guides and whatnot. But this is for sexual selection. 
So that's kind of cool. I know that they make flashlights that have UV lights on them. I'm going to have to invest in one of those. I think you can get them for pretty cheap on, on Amazon, actually. Yeah, I have one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's that that coleus genus and uh, gonoteryx looks like the the males exhibit that UV reflectiveness. I wonder if they do that like after they're dead, like with scorpions. Oh, I bet so. Yeah, because it would be on the scales, right? So it should be. You can make like a really cool like UV insect collection. Oh, that would be, that actually would be really cool. Have a, um, somehow try to freeze dry a tomato hornworm and stick it in there too. Could do like a two eyed a layer, one of those big click beetles. Yes. That would be awesome. (laughs) So just a little bit about their morphology, um, at least Everyone always, I feel, compares their their family to the nymphalids, but these guys have the three pairs of fully developed legs. Um, oh yeah, which is different from the nymphalids. So things like your your monarchs. We did cover nymphalids, so if y'all are wondering what we're talking about, go back to like I think maybe our first part of this series. But we found there are some that are now in nymphalidae, and now it's this giant family. When like when we were in school, it was that one giant family was made up of like several families. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all about, you know, lumping and splitting and <laughs> who knows, who knows where they are now. <laughs> if you split, then it's easier to, there's more like specific characteristics. And when you lump everything together, yeah, but if you have like with the, the monarch ones that we did with the Deneity, there's only like what, four things in there for yeah. us. So it's, I don't know. That's taxonomy for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's how they keep a job, right? That's right switch everything around. I can remember when I learned that termites were now with uh, Blatodia and I, I mean, it blew my mind. I was like, well, that's, uh, that's a terrible idea. I don't think so. And one, I was at a 4-H contest and there was um, a graduate student who was like, well, that's the way it is. And I was like, well, the way it is, is stupid. And he's like, well, <laughs> that's the way it is. And I'm like, okay, I'm, he's not getting my humor, but. Okay. When I first started my entomology classes, way long time ago orthoptera had walking sticks praying really? mantids cockroaches <laughs> and co- yeah, that's everything right. that's right that was and now it's all split up and, and then it was like uh what is it hemiptera homoptera there was a separation there now it's yes. not now it's different and i think that was so much easier so much easier to understand hemiptera and homoptera instead of now it's all hemiptera and it's heteroptera and steinorinca and how how do you pronounce those Achinorinca, sternorinca and sternorinca it's rinca not ranca okay oh i don't know well you took it yeah. we didn't <laughs> <laughs> you took it we never heard that word before until we read to it. To be fair, I think I was taught it every, like, when you get an older professor, nothing, no hate. They're the best. But sometimes they're in their way, and they'll teach you, you know, how it was, say, in the 80s. And then and then we have these, yeah, these new organizations. Um, and I feel like it's really the, the grad students are the ones that, like, stand behind it we're like this is actually it now (laughs) that's how it was with termites and cockroaches it makes sense though i mean when we teach about cockroaches we say oh you know they they love cardboard they love all these places so yeah is that and give it some 
cellulose. But it's so weird to me because you think about they used to separate these things based on morphological characters and you look at cockroaches and you look at termites and it's like, how do these two even like, how would you even put those in the same group? Yes. Craziness. I mean, I understand biologically that it works, but. They're looking at like genetics now, right? Isn't that kind of how they're grouping them together? But then I wonder like, hmm, are there any cockroach species that have like the, that, well, isoptera, equal wing, right? That's like the whole right, yeah, foundation of, of the termite order. So I wonder, are there any closely related cockroaches that have that characteristic? Well, I wonder about that because the ones that they split off on are like a, it's a woodroach, right? Like a cryptocirrus, I think, or something like that. And they have kind of the it's not a true social colony, but it's kind of like a semi-social and they have some of the trophallaxis and all that stuff that they do. But I wonder, I don't know on their wings, like what they look like, yeah. but yeah, who knows? <laughs> it's crazy. All right. But we digress. We do. <laughs> I don't have anything more on these butterflies though. I got nothing else, Bryant. Nothing else. They're just the pretty, the pretty yellow butterflies. So see any yellow butterflies this fall and you're, you're looking at Pieridae family of butterflies. You can impress your friends by saying Pieridae. If it's small, if it's a big one with tails, then you're going to have the the swallowtails. That's true. I did see a tiger swallowtail flying through, had a bee field day, and there was one that was just flying around through. Um, so there, th- I saw actually quite a few butterflies active right now. I think they're enjoying a little burst of nectar they're getting from the rain we had a couple weeks ago, and they're enjoying this little bit cooler weather, uh, but still the sun's out shining. So now's a good, good time to go out to your botanical gardens or somewhere else where there's a lot of flowers and observe a good number of butterflies and see a, a decent... Um, amount of species. Well, thank you for joining us for Bugs by the Yard this week, and we hope we'll catch you next time.